0: It's philosophy talk. Here's a math problem. Multiply 3 times 298. Everybody in this audience, you could tell me exactly how you did it and you would be right. Can anyone really know what another person is thinking? If somebody burst in the room now and said the University of California is firing all of the faculty who don't have
1: grants, I think you would draw the inference that there would be a lot of philosophers looking for work. Mind reading can't just be inference to the best explanation of behavior. On very little evidence, we can figure out what other people want or think.
0: Our guest is Sean Nichols, author of Mind Reading, an integrated account of pretense self-awareness and understanding other minds. Even people we don't know very well were actually pretty good at figuring out the way they would feel in various situations. Recorded in front of a live audience at
1: Pacific University in Forest Grove, Oregon. Mind reading, coming up on Philosophy Talk. This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. Today we're recording our program at Pacific University in Forest Grove, Oregon.
0: Forest Grove, Oregon. Pacific University. What a beautiful place and how happy we are to be here with all these boxers.
1: Today's show is part of the 61st Annual Northwest Philosophy Conference. Welcome everyone to Philosophy Talk. Our topic today is mind reading.
0: Now, Ken, before people think we've gone off the deep end, we should explain that by mind reading, we don't mean anything having to do with the paranormal or a cult. We're talking about the fact that human beings are incredibly good at understanding one another. The way we figure out what other people believe, desire, or intend is quite remarkable. It's the basis and significance of this perfectly ordinary but quite remarkable skill which we want to explore
1: today. It is quite remarkable, John. Our capacity for mind reading is a really big deal. And it's, I think, a major evolutionary achievement of our species. It distinguishes us from just about all other animal life on this planet. Without this ability to mind read, we couldn't learn from each other as easily and as profusely as we do. We couldn't so effortlessly coordinate our lives with others in the many ways that we do take the people in this audience each of you have a brain that's about as complicated
0: as anything in the galaxy except the brain of the person next to you and that incredibly complicated brain brought, drives your motor activity somehow you'd think this would be incredibly hard to predict and figure out and yet we're all here because the others are here you all managed to show up at the same place at the same time to see philosophy talk how in the world did that happen?
1: Well, John, I mean it would have something to do with all those posters plastered all over campus here at Pacific University.
0: Yeah, but you look at it at a physical level. You've got a few colorful marks on paper that that impact on people's eyes and affect its incredibly complicated brain. And yet, everybody knew what everybody else was going to do when they saw those posters. I mean, if you think about it that way, it's really quite amazing. Voila, here we are
1: all together. Yeah, but what about that age-old philosophical conundrum, the, the problem of other minds? I mean, I know my mind. I know it directly and immediately, you know, from the inside. It's impossible for me to doubt that I have a mind. But, but knowing your mind or all these minds out there, that, that's a different matter. I mean, I can observe your outward behavior, and maybe I can guess that maybe there's a mind in there, but, but it's just a guess, and for all I know, you might really be a mindless automaton or a zombie programmed to pretend like you have a mind. Thanks a lot. <laughs> We've done over 200 radio oh. shows together. And you still think I'm a zombie? Well, I, okay, in my heart of hearts, I don't think you're a zombie, but do I really know that you're not? And, and if I can't rule out the possibility that you're just a d- zombie, how could I possibly read your mind? I mean, you might not even have a mind to read, for all I know. Well, don't
0: work yourself up into a skeptical frenzy. Let's get this conversation on a useful plane. Let's assume that we have these mind-reading abilities and ask how in the world
1: we come by them. What underlies this incredible ability? You know, okay, I'll play along for at least the next hour. I'll I'll hold off my skepticism because I know there's lots of fascinating new work in philosophy and cognitive science about the basis of our capacity to read minds. And so maybe learning how we actually manage to read minds might cure me of my doubts. Maybe. We'll see.
0: You know, there's really a couple of approaches. Now, one approach that's been around for a long time is the idea that we each have a theory, a theory about minds as the unknown and unobserved inner causes of behavior. So we have this complex theory of mind, and on the basis of that, just as we hypothesize and theorize about what goes on at the you know, microphysical level on the basis of observations, we theorize about what goes on in other people's heads on the basis of this theory and observations. Uh, How does that strike you? I
1: don't know. I mean, so mind beliefs and all that are like the unobservables of some complicated theory. But, you know, you were saying earlier how complex our minds are. And philosophers and cognitive scientists, psychologists who study the mind, well, we still don't understand it very well, really. So how can... If, if, you know, all the rigorous scientific people don't understand minds, how can ordinary folks be so good at reading minds if we don't even have a good theory of mind? How could that be? Well, here's another approach you might like better, Ken. Th- this approach says,
0: well, we all do know what's going on in our own mind because we're directly aware of it, as you pointed out. And we don't really theorize about what goes on in other people's minds. We just take what goes in our minds and imagine that the same thing goes on in others' minds in similar situations. We want to know what somebody else is thinking or wanting or desiring. We ask what we would feel or want or think or desire
1: if we were in that situation. Is that more to your liking? Well, I mean, it sounds kind of interesting, but you know, I'm really not sure how to decide between these two theories. I mean, they're kind of complicated, and I'm sure, I know, there are a lot more theories. So, you know what I you know what I think? I think at this point, we need some help to get us through all of this. Like some brighter, younger philosopher yeah, that's you thought go. hard
0: about it. Well, that's exactly well, right. Well, luckily, we have someone just like that. Sean Nichols, co-author of Mind Reading, an integrated account of pretense, self-awareness, and understanding other minds will join us soon. And you know, what, we want the help of the members of this live audience, too. But first, our roving philosophical reporter, Rena Palta, talked to someone who specializes in educating people who seem to lack the capacity for mind reading, as we've described. She files this report. was in a
2: hot, dense state the Big Bang Theory up. is a show on CBS about a group of science nerds, including a very popular character named Sheldon Cooper. You know, I've given the matter some thought, and I think I'd be willing to be a house pet to a race of super-intelligent aliens. <laughs> Sheldon is portrayed as having a mild form of autism, a pervasive developmental disorder that's diagnosed in early childhood people with autism oftentimes have difficulties with communication.
3: Hey, Penny, how was work? Great. I hope I'm a waitress at the Cheesecake Factory for my whole life.
0: Was that sarcasm? No. Was that sarcasm?
2: (laughs) Yes.
3: Was that sarcasm? Stop it.
2: Sheldon has an incredibly high IQ, but a low level of social development. People at the opposite end of the autistic spectrum may not even be able to speak or communicate at all. On the higher
3: end of the spectrum, they may have very good language skills in that they can speak.
2: Christy McGuinness is associate professor of education at Pacific University. Her specialty is working with kids with autism. They
3: may have difficulties with the semantics and pragmatics and the, the pieces of language that uh, make us understand each other. That and the nonverbal, with regard to picking up on cues of the person you're talking to.
2: Most of us follow a repertoire of unspoken rules. A combination of noise level and facial expressions helps us take in the mood of a crowd or figure out a friend's interest level. We develop the ability to read each other's minds by interpreting body language, voice tone, and facial expression. But with autism, a person's sensory perception can be skewed.
3: And most often, individuals across the spectrum will have at least one of their senses that either doesn't bring in the information quite in the way everybody else does, Or the information is uh, brought in and then either really subdued or really hyper. So it's hypo and
2: hypersensitivities to sound, touch, taste, smell. If one sense predominates, it's hard for a person with autism to empathize with others, to relate to his or her peers. Anyone who's been in a close relationship knows how much intimacy depends on the ability to mind read. And as sitcom after sitcom teaches us, it's hard to read even the people we know best.
3: Sitcoms, you see, they're all about families and friends and relationships. It's not necessarily a love story or anything like that. And there may be that component too. But there are all issues about life, um, interacting with other people, the difficulties in interacting with people
2: that everyone has. Sheldon, the character from The Big Bang Theory with autistic tendencies, may seem extreme but he highlights how mysterious we all seem to each other and how we often fail to get into each other's heads. In this scene, for example, Sheldon tries to befriend a fellow scientist using a flowchart to map every step of the conversation. Hello, Kripke. Yeah, Sheldon Cooper here. It occurred to me that you hadn't returned any of my calls because I hadn't offered any concrete suggestions for pursuing our friendship. Yeah, perhaps the two of us might share a meal together. <laughs> Yeah, I see. No, 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 wait, don't hang up yet. What Sheldon's scientific method of friendship forming doesn't recognize is the spontaneity, the unpredictability of finding something of oneself in another person, and making that mind-to-mind connection. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Rina Palta.
1: You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.